Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening. Welcome again to another episode of Hump Day Blogorama. The week has flown by, and it's skin of the teeth. I'm throwing this all together. Get it ready for you. Weekly stroll around the RPG blogosphere, taking a look at a bunch of cool stuff that RPG bloggers have been putting up all week long. I talk about it for far too long on the podcast, and then I put up all the links in order, everything we discuss over at the Thought Eater blog. You just Google Thought Eater blog or go to frothsofdnd.blogspot.com. If you listen to my session recap for my Froth University game last weekend, I was a little shaken. And uh, I, t- I talked a little bit about, you know, the game could have gone better. I wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling well when I did the podcast. I had a little bout of the old food poisoning. If anybody was wondering, you know, I went to the grocery store and saw that there there's no lettuce on the shelves. All there's a whole romaine recall here in the States, California. And guess what they put on my steak sandwich at my favorite restaurant on Friday? A big old thick crisp hunk of romaine lettuce. So there you have it. Feeling a lot better though. Kind of proud of the resiliency of the old froth body. At, uh, getting on up there. Fought it off. So anyway. <laughs> Just thought I'd give you all an update on my health. I don't know if anybody's that concerned. It's like, ah, frost's not dead. It's all right. Okay. So big show today, as always. Got some messages to get to. Most of them are about the Hump Day show, but I got one here from Mr. Pete Jones from the Dragons Are Real podcast, Legendary Anchorite, kind of a late addition to the unpopular D&D opinions. This is a pretty cool series did recently. I, at least I enjoyed it. I, I liked a lot the opinions and stuff that people called in with and uh, seemed like other folks enjoyed it. They kind of got a lot of listens. So if you haven't checked out the unpopular D&D opinions, I did like a series of three on them recently. They should be fairly easy to find. But let's hear what Mr. Jones has to say. Hi, Froth. Pete Jones here. Unpopular D&D opinions. Well, this is a big one. I'm going for it. Random rolling of your attributes. Yep, I said it. I should have said it out loud. But why, oh why, oh why do we randomly roll for attributes? Because we know that the same person is going to be a dwarf no matter what they roll. The same person is going to be a monk like you, whatever they roll. And then we house rule the random rolling of stats. You roll four dice, keep the best three. Or I know, let's get them to roll with three dice and then swap two of the attributes over. So characters are going to pick what they're going to pick. So why roll for them? Just give them some points to spend. Or better still, just give them five points to spend on their pluses. Job done. There you go. That's my unpopular opinion. That is Pete Jones there from the Dragons Are Real podcast and good stuff. Might be unpopular, but, you know, I don't think we'll ever see again in any kind of, you know, modern D&D, um, you know, where it's just straight up rolling, you know, as anything other than an option. 
And, uh, you know, it's funny. I've tried, uh, I've ran a campaign of just 3d6 in order before thinking that, you know, it might force players into playing something that maybe wouldn't be their first choice and would give them, you know, uh, might make for some interesting role play and stuff. Uh, I've done 46, drop the lowest order, you know, put the order to your taste. Um, and in a first edition game, you know, just cause I was hoping that it, it might allow for some of the, you know, more esoteric classes to get played, you know, that require these higher ability scores. When what's the harm in letting people just play what they want to play? You know, it's better off just giving them an array or some kind of point by, um, I know that there's probably a lot of old schoolers that maybe just feel like that's, you know, I mean, everybody's different. And I mean, Mr. Jones did refer to it as an unpopular opinion. So I'm sure a lot of people disagree with that, but you know, there's a reason it shifted over time. And part of that is people being able to choose what they want to play. And, and, uh, I think that at the end of the day, that's probably the right, right way to do it. Um, you know, cause I, I picture like, in my first edition game, I'm always hoping, you know, somebody will get the stats to play a monk or play something like that. And why not just let them, you know, give them an array. I mean, I've, it's funny. I don't know why it's so sacred for D and D when it's, it's not the case for so many other games. And one of the first things I uh, house ruled or looked for an alternate system, for example, in Marvel superheroes, um, was uh was all there was the random character creation you know i wanted players to have the choice you know and i don't know why it's just tradition i guess that it's made it to where it's so hard to to let that go from from D &D. um now if somebody if if a gm wants me to roll 3d6 in order i'll play anything i got no problem with it you know i'll adjust to what a gm wants but uh, i think that's uh i think I think I'm ready to just say, pick what you want to play. So, uh, thank you, Mr. Jones. Appreciate it. <laughs> Seriously. That was well stated. And then when you get into just the ability bonuses and everything, uh, Che Webster mentioned that too. And I don't know if that's ready to go completely out the window yet. I do still like rolling under ability scores for, for ability checks and stuff and, and old school games. But certainly in the modern ones, the uh, you know the ability score doesn't really matter at all. Uh, so, and in uh, in modern D and D, you know, I can see that you know turn into ability scores. But I I doubt it. I doubt it will. There's something about that that uh, three to eighteen um, scale that just feels uh, feels like it's there to stay. But great stuff from you. Anybody hasn't checked out the Dragons Are Real podcast, it's really good stuff, so check it out. Hey, Froth, just listening to you talk about 20-foot Japanese scroll maps, I'm pretty sure there's an RPG that uses a scroll map. It's quite expensive, and I think it's of a more narrative style. I don't even know if it's just kind of like an adventure game. I'm not too sure. I'm sure your listeners would know the name, or somebody out there would know the name, obviously. But... um, yeah, I think that's a really cool way to present a map. Also, for people, you know, there's a lot of map books and books about maps on the likes of Amazon. Um, a friend of mine picked up a really nice map book. Probably would have cost about 30 quid, 
brand new, picked it up for a pound at a charity shop, and that is some lush illustration. Also, a shameless plug, but Roycroft, I did a preview back in episode 213 at the beginning of November, a little audio reading all about Glynn setting. That is legendary anchorite Colin Green there from the excellent Spike Pit podcast. And Colin, there's no shame in you plugging your podcast. I want to plug it for you. I want people to listen to it. I'm sure many of my listeners already do. Your stuff is great. So, and I somehow missed that you had done a Rycroft episode. Last week on the hump day, I was talking about Glenn Seal, a.k.a. Uh, Monkey Blood. Uh, new Kickstarter they're gearing up for and um, featured some of the maps that they had put on their their, their blog. And uh, so anybody interested in that, it looks outrageous, head over to Spike Pit and check out the Rycroft episode there and get some more information. And if anybody out there knows the game Spike Pit's talking about uh, with the scroll maps, Treat it like a little trivia thing. Call in with it. Let me know. I'm trying. I, I don't know what it. You know, I can't find what the game is, but I think that that would be absolutely cool. As far as being able to find really good cheap gaming books, maps, or otherwise, yeah, I, I love going thrift store hunting. Uh, so many times I can find these really great history books, uh, ancient history, and things like that that'll have cool maps and floor plans and stuff like that in it. And so when you're we're talking about, um, you know, hunting for, for, you know, good prices on, on books and maps and stuff. That's what it made me think about. I have one that's like ancient civilizations of the world and lo and behold, and all the margins, it's got all these great floor plans of all these ancient temples and stuff from all over the world. And it's really inspirational and cool. So, but hey, plug away. You are always welcome to plug away, Mr. Colin. I, I want, uh, and uh, I'm just sad I missed the Rycroft, uh, the Rycroft episode, so I'm going to have to check that out. So, let's see what else we got. So, yeah, so the, the final topic last week was um, on different, like, death and dying rules and stuff. And I didn't get a, didn't get a ton of response, but the responses I got were, were very interesting. You know, first, I, I thought I mentioned, I put this under the intro tab, over at the Terrible Sorcery dot blogspot.com blog this is i should have had it open uh and my internet's going real slow today for some reason so yeah froth silence the my terrible sorcery is without equal in the west blog terrible sorcery dot blogspot.com hda's blog they put up a post that you know they obviously were reading the same blogs as me let's get dangerous it's called and so they, they talk a little bit about uh, character death and how they don't understand how it disrupts the story. Uh, um, but And they don't understand folks who say the world isn't immersive if characters die. So they talk about their opinions on death and dying in games. And then they also put up some great uh, some links. They put up a couple of links that I did from DM David and Jeff Reince, but they also put one from Anthony Huso up noisums and uh, a few other links so anyway i i thought this was uh since it was obviously in response to the, some of the um, posts that i was talking about i thought i put that link up that's under the intro tab 
But then I got a couple of messages that are about the exact same alternate death mechanic, which I thought was very, you know, like a synchronicity type deal. And, and the mechanic is really interesting. So check this out. Hey, Jeremy, this is Rudy from RPG Retrofit. Uh, regarding death, uh, I really, I really like the death move in Dungeon World, uh, Last Breath. And uh, I'll just go ahead and read it. And I think you can drop that in any game. Remember, you roll 2d6 in Dungeon World. Last Breath. When you're dying, you catch a glimpse of what lies beyond the black gates of Death's Kingdom. The GM will describe it. Then roll. Just roll, plus nothing. Yeah, Death doesn't care how tough or cool you are. On a 10+, plus, you've cheated Death. You're in a bad spot, but you're still alive. On a 7-9, to nine, Death will offer you a bargain. Take it and stabilize, or refuse and pass beyond the black gates into whatever fate awaits you. On a miss, on a 6-, minus, <clears throat> your fate is sealed. You're marked as death's own, and you'll cross the threshold soon. The GM will tell you when. Um, the bargains are awesome. Uh, describing what death looks like to different characters is pretty cool. Uh, it's a great, it's a great way to do it. All right, man. See you later. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. Um, about death, um, the game Dungeon World it has a pretty neat um, mechanic. I'm sure you know if you've seen it. Is is the um, death move? where you roll your 2d6 when your character reaches zero hit points and on a six or below your character's dead on a 10 or more your character lives but on a result of seven eight or nine death offers your character a choice you can accept it or you can die and it's not sometimes it could also be you're alive until you finish a task so it gives you more time to play and probably something to help with um, so you're not bored while everyone else is playing a chance to get back into the game and then maybe die at the end. Hey, it's Josh again, and I was thinking how you can use that dungeon world mechanic for D&D by um, when that character dies, the constitution saving throw could be 10 plus the character level. And then say if it's the second time or the third time they're doing it, it can be 10 plus double the character level or triple the character level, whatever the case is. But then I also think that the, uh, the offer that death gives should be very dramatic to the actual character. Not, not necessarily fictional, since you know, D&D's not that style, but definitely mechanical where it does something to the character. And not necessarily in a good way. This is Josh again, and last time, I promise. But an example I had of this in one of my Dungeon World games was I was playing with my daughter and my little brother. Well, my brother, like, died by some kind of fire elemental. I mean, he was completely consumed in flames. But he rolled his little death mood. I got like a 9 or 8 or something. And um, I gave him the offer of how that he, since he died in flames, his life would be forever consumed by flames. He accepted, didn't think about it. And then in the game, his body rose up completely on fire. I described how his character was screaming for a while and then realized it wasn't burning him. And then the rest of the game, he's just walking and he's in complete flames. But he doesn't cause any fire. But at the same time, a gigantic ball of fire is easy to see in a dungeon. 
That is Rudy there from the RPG Retrofit Podcast, as well as Josh Beckelheimer from the JB Publishing Podcast. And really appreciate y'all both calling in, first of all. So thank you for that. And I thought it was really cool that y'all were both talking about this mechanic from Dungeon World. Now, I've never played Dungeon World, never read Dungeon World. I'm vaguely familiar with how, you know, I kind of know how the Powered by the Apocalypse mechanics and stuff work. That is really interesting. Definitely not something I would use in every game, but I can see a campaign where you have like I don't normally I don't normally do a ton of stuff with deities and everything and gods in, in my games. I I leave that to the players. If I've got you know, I'll often have a player playing a cleric they're all about it. And so they handle kind of bringing that into the game for me, you know, but I can see having some kind of game where you really have, you know, death as a God or death personified. And, and, and it's like a known, you know, because there's a lot of implied setting material in that rule, you know? Um, so I, I can see using that in a campaign and turn it and it turning into something really cool with the, the, the bargaining with death and everything. The other thing I really like is the idea that if you fail, you don't necessarily die. Then you're on borrowed time. And, and I, I think, you know, where you could die at any time and, and how would that affect how the character role plays their game and, and working that into the, like the, the setting of a, of a specific campaign sounds kind of cool to me. Um, again, I wouldn't want it to, I wouldn't want that to be how it always worked, no matter whenever I ran D and D, uh, or another game, but I definitely think there would be room in a campaign to use that and it could be, uh, have a really cool effect. So that is a really interesting idea. It's not that, you know, it's close to what Jeff Reince was talking about with the rolling a D6. If you roll over your your level, you know, you survive, but you might have a setback or some kind of permanent injury. So I wonder if they pulled, maybe pulled that from Dungeon World or maybe it's, again, just more synchronicity kind of floating around. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that y'all had uh, called about the same thing. And I can see why, because that is a unique, very creative... Um, different uh, death and dying mechanic there. So thank you both again for calling in and sharing that. I found that highly interesting and really inspiring. So that was really cool. The last thing I wanted to mention as far as intro stuff is I always like to talk about new bloggers. If I spot a new blog that's just recently started, I don't catch them all obviously, but I caught a few this week. So I wanted to welcome a few folks to the blogosphere, starting with Phil Lowe over at the Captain Ahab's Leg blog. Captain Ahab's leg.blogspot.com. They've got one post up from uh, the 21st. Use tarot cards to generate an adventure using the magic square. So they're, they're uh, you know, off to a cool start with this tarot card generator idea. And so welcome to the blogosphere, Phil. Also the late to the party blog, laterpg.blogspot.com. See if I've got a name here. Pralek. And Prowlex got three posts up so far here in November. Um, 
encumbrance in the move die. So they're, get, they're working on this mechanic with this move die. Check that out. Again, the late to the party blog. Welcome to the blogosphere to Prowlag. And then uh, first post here over at the Advanced Xerox Lord, DB's Advanced Xerox Lord, xeroxlord.blogspot.com. They've got to post up moles, lemmings, and hedgehogs for Mouse Ritter. And Mouse Ritter is a new game, uh, kind of a spin on Into the Odd that I've got a review up talking about uh, later in the show. So welcome to the Blogosphere DB. So, you know, three new three new blogs. I love seeing people starting new blogs. It means the Blogosphere is healthy. Love seeing influx of, of new voices and new creativity to the scene. So welcome again, y'all. And thanks again to folks for calling in. All right. So the big new 5e release, Eberron, Rising from the Last War. It is out now. And so there's a lot of people talking about this. I haven't picked it up yet. It's weird, you know, it seemed like when 5e first started that there were these, you know, it was a really slow release schedule. Now it seems fast, doesn't it? Isn't that weird? Now I can't keep up with it. I'll get it all. There's only been a couple of things that I haven't bothered to pick up, but um, I'll definitely be getting this at some point. But it just came, seemed like it, I don't know if that's true for anybody else but me, but it seems like everything was really like a slow release early on, but then now they just feel fast. I guess partly because nobody's, I don't know how anybody's getting through all these hardbacks in time for the next one to come out. Uh, I don't know. People must play more than me, but it took us a long time to get through like Curse of Strahd. There's no way we can keep pace with all these hardbacks, but, um, but anyway, getting way off the topic, but yeah. So this new Eberron thing, regular cover. Nah, Limited edition cover, oh yeah, killer. So I've got a picture of that limited edition cover up there for you, and then several links. You know, one from the creator themselves, Keith Baker, Keith-Baker.com. They're talking about the product, what's changed in the new edition, what's new, uh, what it has in common with the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. You know, the previous um, Eberron thing that uh, Wizards put out just in PDF. Uh, not too long ago, so you want to get an idea of what's new in the book and, and everything straight from the creator themselves. That's at keith-baker.com. Also at sageadvice.eu, they've got a link to a video with uh, 5e um, designer Jeremy Crawford talking about what is Eberron rising from the last war. So a little video there for you. Thanks to Sage Advice, D&D. They always putting up cool 5e related stuff. Love that site. Great stuff from them. And then final, finally, over at CannibalHalflingGaming.com, Seamus Connolly, one of the, the writers for Cannibal Halfling Gaming, has done a review of Eberron rising from the last war. So it goes into detail chapter by chapter, talking about the dragon marks, uh, the classes, uh, the new patron system and everything, uh, uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, it'll just give you an idea of the layout of the book and everything. So, so anyway, yeah. So Eberron's a cool thing. You know, it's really strange to think about, uh, what a life changer that must've been for Keith Baker. You know, the Eberron was created as a, you know, there's a contest for people to try to create the new D a new D and D setting and they won. And you know, what a life changer, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, from, from that moment on their, their life, you know, their life becomes Eberron part, you know, becomes their, their creation. And, and, um, 
it's uh like i say I, I really do like eberron it's got a lot of cool space in there for some pulp sort of elements and some noir elements i just feel like and now I, i'm probably ignorant of a lot of the like third edition products for it so i i could be just like i say ignorant of of some great release but i never quite quite push that noir in there enough i never see that adventure where it's you know like the gumshoe warforged or something that that's what i want to see i want them to take it kind of not to an absurd level but but maybe a little camp and uh and, and really you know ham it up with the noir uh, edge to it but i guess i guess i answered my own question right there why i haven't seen it before uh maybe it's just, that just wouldn't be for everybody or wouldn't feel like D D. but but anyway Looks great, uh, at least the limited edition cover does. So if you're wanting to find out more information about the new Eberron release for 5e, check it out. Got all the links up for you. The map segment of Hump Day Blogorama is proudly brought to you by Frank Turfler, legendary anchorite of Frank T's liner notes. I've been backing Frank T's Patreon for a while. High quality, full color, world class battle maps, sci-fi, fantasy, and otherwise innovative print and paste terrain that brings your table to life multiple support tiers including a commercial tier which will allow you to use frank t's creations in your own commercial projects you can sample some of the quality of the work by looking for frank's free map friday posts so whether you are a creator that is looking for some cartography for a new project whether you are a gm gaming online or in person at the table, or you're just like Froth, a map junkie, and you can't get enough of this stuff, go right now to patreon.com forward slash Frank T and check it out. All right, so let's talk about some maps, and thanks again to Frank T for sponsoring this segment. I love Frank T's stuff, y'all. If you haven't gone over to patreon.com forward slash Frank T and had a look for yourself, do it. You know, if you're into maps, if you're into papercraft, if you're looking for to use some maps in a commercial product, uh, one of your projects, check it out. So, yeah, I usually try to flip around, you know, jump around to some different cartographers and stuff. I just talked about Glenn Seal at monkeyblooddesign.co.uk last week, but they made me an offer I can't refuse with a Mega Dungeon Monday, map number one. And Glenn is doing this new series, how awesome is this, Mega Dungeon Monday, where they're going to put up a segment of a Mega Dungeon each week and then kind of compile it all together into one huge map. And it's starting off with this totally rad kind of uh, cavern rift sort of sort of map, and I can't wait to see how this develops. So Glenn Seal's stuff is world-class, you know, any winner, so... Uh, definitely, if you're into Mega Dungeons and Maps, you got to follow along with this one for sure. So I've got that first one, an image of it, and a link over to check this out. So definitely a cool series there. And then over at diregrizzlybear.blogspot.com, Dire Grizzly Bear's blog. This is kind of twofer. You get some cool maps. I'll get to that in a second. But also cool idea. They're talking about uh, an idea, uh, a different way to kind of handle languages in an RPG. Um, they're maybe not uh, that satisfied with the, the, the standard way it works in D&D. And so they're inspired by the development of languages and kind of language families and stuff in the real world and, and tying that into the mechanics of how players can learn languages and, and how they work. For example, there might be a completely unknown language where nothing you 
say can be understood, but then a known family where instead of, you know, being completely fluent, you might, you know, know some really basic vocabulary and stuff like that. So kind of an intermediate stage between uh, fluency and unknown language, you know, something in the middle there where you can, you know, maybe communicate a little bit, you know, and, uh, and then they talk about really esoteric languages and lost languages that, that you can't start with, that you would have to just learn and play through uh, downtime or research or whatever, where it ties into maps. You might be like, what does this have to do with maps? I love when people who use, uh, or when there's like a map like format to, to, um, to provide information on something that's not, you know, like related to geography. And so the, there's this cool map called the lexical distance among the languages of Europe. So it's kind of showing uh, in a map format what languages are related to each other, which are the furthest, what are kind of you know the close most closely related. So I put an image of, of that up. I thought it was really really awesome. I remember taking a uh, st an interesting course back in my college days uh, that talked about like the development of languages and everything and. And uh, I, found, I found it really fascinating, um, you know, things kind of coming from original root languages and, and wondering what, you know, it's kind of a curious thing to think about what those, those languages might be like and, and when they broke off and how it all kind of ties into migration and, and, and stuff like that. So anyway, really cool, um, interesting post all the way around over at diregrizzlybear.blogspot.com. Final map thing, there's not an image for this. This is over at the Retired Adventurer, retiredadventurer.blogspot.com. This is John B.'s blog. They put up a post called Great Battle Map Drawing Tutorial. And so it's a link to a video on YouTube that starts off as a review and discussion of a Pathfinder 2E module. But they say around the 20-minute mark, uh, this person, T. Elliot Cannon, shows you how to draw some good-looking battle maps. So they... They said they felt it was a very good tutorial, easily adaptable to non-Pathfinder games. Um, so if you're interested in uh, you know, becoming a better at, at drawing battle maps and stuff like that and want a tutorial for someone who's really good at it, that link is over at retiredadventurer.blogspot.com. All right, some reviews and retrospectives. And I'm kind of starting with one of my own here. Uh, I've talked... Many times we've gone over and checked out the Lizardman Diaries blog, lizardmandiaries.blogspot.com. This is Michael Raston's blog. And uh, so, Michael, I've talked before about their Guild Dogs campaign. They, 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 uh, the Guild Dogs is kind of a lovingly, maybe not lovingly, but it's, it's what the PCs are referred to in their Infinigrad setting, where uh, the PCs go out into this, you know, massive ancient town and, 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 and look for things for the guild and everything. And Michael's really talented at random tables. So their works come up in random tables and everything. And, and anyway, a few weeks ago under the free stuff tab, I'd put up a kind of a beta version of star dogs that they were working on instead of guild dogs, star dogs. So this is a science fiction themed role-playing game. Again, it's got a lot of random tables packed in there. They sent me a copy. I believe it's uh, like a buck ninety nine on drive through. So I've got a link up for it if you're interested. And it's just a kind of more polished, put together. It's got um, you know some good artwork and stuff in there. And the game itself is really interesting. 
kind of works off a roll under mechanic, but um, it starts with a d20, but you know the better you are at things, the easier it is for you to roll under, so the dice kind of go downward, so you go from like a d20 to a d12, and pretty much if something's really easy, you might, you might not roll a d20 to roll under, you roll something else, so a lot of the time you might just have an automatic uh, success in that way, and so... Uh, reading through it, I haven't taken too much of a deep dive. I haven't played it yet, but I, I found it interesting because it was the kind of game where there were some things where I saw right away that would be like, ah, I'd probably house rule that. But then I kept thinking about some of the other mechanics and been like, huh. So it's kind of the best sort of game, a game that kind of makes you think and has some pieces you definitely like and makes you want to play it, hack it, and play with it. And, uh, Again, it has a lot of cool random tables. It's got a lot of parts that feel um, that are really kind of free form, um, where it's kind of between the player and the GM to decide how something works, or player to pitch a GM on how maybe like a cybernetic aug augmentation might work. And and so at some points it feels like there's not a rule for it, and then at some points it feels like maybe. Um, you know, maybe you might want to tweak a rule or whatever, but uh, that base mechanic there of the the roll under and the the kind of um, the the decreasing dice size based on uh, your abilities and based on how easy something is uh, that that's uh, to me I think is a really cool mechanic to play with. So. What's cool about this, I put up a link to them talking about the player's handbook at the lizardmandiaries.blogspot.com, and they've already got a ton of generators. You know, I mentioned some of this before. The, a planet generator, an alien species generator, outpost space station generator, mission generator, NPC generator, a dangerous sector generator. So there's already all this awesome stuff um, to help you, you know, make your own game out of it. They even say, I think like the, one of the first things they say in the game. Yeah. These are the basic rules. Feel free to change these or any other content to suit your particular universe. So it's, you know, it's, it's ready to be hacked. And I think there's a lot to like here. Certainly for $2, you get plenty of value out of this, a lot of inspiration and stuff. So anyway, if any of this sounds interesting to you, like I say, I've got a link where you can go over and buy it. It's just a couple bucks. Star Dogs Player's Handbook from Michael Raston. Check it out. All right, moving right along on the reviews. You know, I mentioned last week over at the nzgeist.com blog, Thilo Graf had talked about the D30 DM's companion, loved it, and now they're talking about the D30 Sandbox companion. They love it too. If you didn't listen to last week's, just to mention again, if people are ever ask me about great OSR products, I don't blink, I don't hesitate. Richard LeBlanc's new Big Dragon Games D30 Companions are just, if you don't own them, why not? They're cheap on Lulu and print, get them. Get them, get yourself a D30. Especially if you like old school D&D &D and you like to um, improvise and kind of, you know, or, you know, uh, hex crawl and stuff like that. These are priceless, absolutely priceless. But, you know, aside from like the monster stats and stuff, these would be useful with any D&D &D or any real fantasy game. If you like generating stuff on the fly, having helpful tools, and uh, they go into detail on the D30 Sandbox Companion and um, 
talk about it in, in depth. So if you're not familiar with these and you want some more detail, I highly recommend going over and checking that out and then picking these up. So, you know, I mentioned during the intro, uh, one of the new bloggers was talking about this Mouse Ritter game. And then over at Glaucus Harient, glaucusharient.blogspot.com, this is... Uh, yeah, Where Octopus's Blog. And they do an in-depth review of this uh, Mouse Ritter game, which is mostly based on Into the Odd with some additional mechanics taken from Nave and Glog and stuff like that. Basically, you're playing Adventuring Mice. And uh, so this is up on itch.io for pay what you want with a suggested price of three bucks. And uh, it looks really good, really good. And it uh, looks fun. Looks like something might be fun to play with kids too. Only thing about it is I wanted uh, I wanted in print, but as of this... Uh, as of this recording, they were sold out of the print. Maybe they didn't anticipate how this thing was going to kind of take off because it seems like a lot of people are talking about it and enjoying it. So maybe that print will come around again, that kind of zine format print version. But there's a, a great um, review over here at Glaucus Harian. In detail, it goes you know step by step and gives you a lot of information on it. So if you like Into the Odd, you want to play some Adventuring Mice, check out Mouse Ritter. Over at Moti's Tabletop Bellhop site, tabletopbellhop.com, they did a review of a, a new board game. It caught my eye because uh, I really like Universal Monsters. I've talked about that before. Uh, it's called a Horrified, and you know the whole thing is a cooperative board game where you're trying to fend off uh, Universal mo monsters. You know Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, um, Invisible Man, even, and, and all that uh, from uh, you know save this town or prevent them from attacking villagers and stuff. So looked like fun. And as I'm a universal monster fan, I thought I would put that up another excellent review. It's even got a, it's got a, you know, a blog post review and then an unboxing video and everything. Moti, Moti does it right over there at tabletopbellhop.com. Xenopus archives, you know, the, the real, you know, keeping the torch alive for the, uh, for the Holmes basic set uh, for years now, as opposed to our, uh, this is Xenopus archives.blogspot.com RPG retro review tower of Xenopus. So they've got a link to a video on YouTube from captain courageous over there. Who's got a, you know, about a 20 minute video review of the Xenopus dungeon from the Holmes basic set. So something interesting if you're, you know, only diehard OSR folks, old school junkies, I guess need apply to this, but uh, something cool to see somebody doing a review of that. You can check that out at xenopusarchives.blogspot.com. And then finally, if you're not following the OSR Grimoire blog and you're into the history of D&D, I'm telling you, I'll keep saying it. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is a great recent blog that's doing, doing the work of the gods on a classic D&D um, history and, and interesting posts and retrospectives. So osrgrimoire.blogspot.com, Paleologos' blog, did a great post, OD&D Dragons on the Origin of the Species. It says they were always intrigued by the taxonomy of the different colored dragons in D&D, unsure of the origin of the different colored species. And so... This talks a little bit about where those came from. And in fact, we learned from, uh, it mentions John Peterson's excellent playing at the World Book. 
that Gary Gygax had written a number of articles entitled Great Worms on the Different Types of Colored Dragons for the diplomacy fanzine Thangoradrim. And then they tracked down on the Internet Archive these Great Worms articles, and they, they put up some images of, of Gygax's you know, um, work on that. And so you can kind of see where some of the early ideas for these, uh, for the chromatic dragons and the different dragons and metallic and all that came into play. And uh, so anyway, just a cool post, cool D&D history check there for you. All right, so let's roll on a couple random tables and <clears throat> break out the dice. All right, starting over at Archon's March On. This is a almost exclusively random table blog, and I uh, really enjoy it. I've mentioned it several times before, and but I forget whose blog it is. Semiurge. Yeah. So they've got this post up. Uh, what's the deal with this town? D100 answers to the question. What's the deal with this town? Like, what's the deal? Let's see. Eight. Its population have been mutated by the unclean radiance of a fallen asteroid. Those with mutations too heavy to hide have been exiled and grow in resentment with every passing day. So that's a strange thing that town's dealing with. The unclean radiance of a fallen asteroid. It's got people mutating. What's the deal with this town? A spate of bizarre murders has struck the town, traceable back to the town's butcher, who's been infected by mind-controlling parasites and is spreading them to other victims through tainted meat. Oh, after the food poisoning, I don't want to hear about tainted food. It's like you can't eat anything. One more. What's the deal with this town? 99. A charismatic preacher with strange teachings has recently come to town and gathered a fanatical following. Great list. D100 things. These are great. You could use in a hex crawl or whatever when people happen to a town and you want to find out some kind of, you know, over, you know, they tend weird. You know, these things obviously tend a little weird, but if you want to find out, you know, some quick inspiration for or how to play something on the fly, this is great, or you can build whole adventures around these. A hundred of these. Very, very cool. Archonsmarchon.blogspot.com. What's the deal with this town? And this one's over at uh, iCastLight. iCastLight.blogspot.com. Warren D's blog. This is not a super long random table. It's just a D12 table, but I really like the flavor of this one, so I wanted to highlight it. They're talking about how they're running um, Gillespie's Forget Forbidden Caverns of Archaea Mega Dungeon. Um, and they're, I guess they're running it for 5e and they're trying to design some weird units of rot and ruin to challenge their players. These are just kind of rough outlines, but I like these a lot. So let's roll on a couple of these. Yeah, fungus druids. And then encounter some fungus druids. And uh, how about the bloated rot runners? These are zombies filled with rot grubs. And I'll do one more on here. <laughs> These are all some grotesque, you know, very, I rolled an 11 again. Grotesque, obviously, but, you know, they are the uh, units of rot and ruin. Um, so giant centipedes lashed to 10-foot poles are tied to zombies' heads. So, yeah, they got 10-foot poles with giant centipedes, ta uh, you know, tied to them 
or zombies coming at you with giant centipedes tied to their heads. So yeah, I just like the creativity of these again on the grotesque side, but, uh, still interesting. Like, uh, let's see another one just to read you one bone constructs of rotting crows, vultures, birds, and other vermin. Oof. So anyway, that uh, 1D12 units of rot and ruin, that is over at icastlight.blogspot.com. All right, some free stuff that I saw floating around. And, you know, I may have missed some stuff this week, you know, over the, the weekend especially. But anyway, this is what I caught. There's a new Unearthed Arcana up from D&D, Fighter, Rogue, and Wizard. And this is all kind of psionics related. So there's uh, the psychic warrior for the fighter. There is the soul knife for the rogue and the tradition of psionics for the wizard. Wonder if this means they're going to, they're never going to do anything with that mystic uh, from the unearthed arcana from a while back. Who knows? But if you want to check out this uh, play test material for 5e fighter, rogue and wizard is up now. So over at Rended Press, rendedpress.blogspot.com, Matthew Schmier's blog. It's come up numerous times because Matthew Schmier does the best job of anybody cataloging RPG zines, uh, you know, hundreds of, of these things. Um, they've got a great list of old school zines over there. If you've never checked that out, it's well worth going over there, rendedpress.blogspot.com. They also do these little two-page kind of zine deals called the Toss-Off Zine, and they always <laughs> insult it. Say here's another pitiful issue of my worthless little zine. <laughs> At this point, it's just like a joke, but I've put these up whenever I've noticed them. Some so toss off number nine is up over at renderedpress.blogspot.com. Just last week, I was talking about Goblin Henchman's Hex Flower game engines. You know, it's kind of a combo hex map, random random generator type deal. And over at penpaperanddice.home.blog. This is a solo adventuring focused blog, solo pen, paper, and dice, penpaperanddice.home.blog. Georgius over there has done like a one page deal, a siege resolution hex flower game engine. So uh, if you've checked out those hex flowers and liked them, this one's kind of cool to the battlements. It's kind of a, a siege engine take spin on the uh, Goblin Henchman hex flower deal. So you can check that out at pen, paper, and dice.home.blog. Also, some other interesting stuff there, all related to solo RPGs. So, uh, something to check out if you've never been over there before. Last week, I also was talking about Mark Hunt's new Gangbusters BX game. And so, at polyhedralnonsense.wordpress.com, they will often do character sheets and, and tools you can use for for a variety of games. Uh, and they've put up NG 76 over there has put up a fillable character sheet for gangbusters BX. So if you just checked that out last week, there's a fillable character sheet over at polyhedralnonsense.wordpress.com. And then finally, I thought this was really cool. So I'm starting at Flintlocks and witchery, James T hooks blog. And they talk about sword and back backpack, a fantasy game designed by Rothbard and Gaspus. That is, uh, you know, really simple. The only mechanic is rolling a d20 and adding five, a plus five if the action falls within your job class, or job or class versus a target number. And they link over to the original game, which you can download. And the cool thing about the original game is, yeah, it's dead simple, obviously, right? But, but um, 
what's cool is that it's the pages are formatted to be cut out and taped or glued into a small moleskin notebook and that makes a notebook into your character sheet in the chronicle of your adventures and um they james mentions that uh it was really inspiring to them and kind of changed the way they even viewed gaming led to some great adventures and they tinkered with it and kind of they say that it was a little too freeform for new players they tinkered with it and overcomplicated it and made it lose its soul, but then they messed around with it some more and they've got uh, their own hack of uh, sword and backpack. So a couple links that you'll see on the blog. Uh, again, all these links are at the Thought Eater blog. You can go over first at the Flint and Locks and Witchery blog and get their hack of sword and backpack. And it's made to be printed into booklet form, so you know, print your own zine from it. And then you go over to the original post at swordandbackpack.tumblr.com and you can download the original RPG, you know, made to be taped into, uh, pasted into a little moleskin notebook along with a couple of other little supplements they made for it. So I know a lot of listeners enjoy this kind of lo-fi freeform gaming and uh, these look like some interesting options in that area. Some cool miscellaneous stuff, as there is every week. Um, this one, I someone else had linked me to this, and uh, I've since added it to my blog roll, but there, it's genesisoflegend.com is the name of the blog, and uh, Jagash is uh, the author. And they did a survey, an analysis of the tabletop RPG publishing survey. And uh, basically, um, they released a survey to collect information from a variety of publishers, 47 unique publishers talking about 71 unique products and they've got the final analysis in a downloadable pdf here i think this would be really interesting uh to anybody out there looking to start publishing their stuff or who's done a lot of it in various formats i didn't do too much of a deep dive into it but it talks about the you know it goes from everything from the format that people are publishing in you know larger hardbacks zines smaller softback books, you know, digest size, um, the amount of money they're spending on um, hiring artists or, or editors. Uh, and, and it's kind of just a, a, a lot of information uh, on where the money goes when people are, you know, making, uh, you know, when publishers are publishing RPGs. So I know that a lot of people are DIY enthusiasts out there or maybe, you know, accomplished and have put out a lot of professional levels that you know a wide variety of people listen to this show and so this was just an interesting publishing budget survey with a lot of information on it that i, I found really interesting i'm looking forward to reading reading it more in depth or just haven't had time yet so anyway there's a pdf there um uh from genesis of com with some of the survey answers and analysis and it's all put together really well with you know graphs and visual aids and stuff to to uh to help you look at it so so there's that then chicago wiz chgo wiz dash games.blogspot.com chicago wiz one of the one page dungeon contest judges and it does a lot of cool blogging games everything else i mentioned their three hexes zine recently um Anyway, they put a really cool post, a work in progress, creating Rescue of Homlet, the Moat House terrain. And it's got some videos from Gary Kahn and stuff, and, um, and, and it's their efforts to, uh, to, to make a model of the, uh, the Homlet Moat House. 
and it looks really cool. Like I could look at this instantly and know exactly what it is. And it's again, like it's a work in progress, but I thought it was a really D cool DIY kind of, uh, project that, uh, Chicago Wiz was working on. So go check out their efforts to create the, um, the moat house terrain over there at uh, Chicago with games.blogspot.com. I've mentioned before how real life stuff um, numerous times can be great um, inspiration for, for RPGs. And I, I just couldn't help but post this. It's maybe not explicitly gaming related, but at medievalist.net, they put up a post 160,000 pages of medieval manuscripts digitized. And so it's linking over. This was a project with from Lehigh University with 15 Philadelphia area libraries that scanned and digitized more than 160,000 pages from 475 original medieval manuscripts, the earliest dating to the 9th century. And um, uh, the hand-lettered and illustrated pages range from brightly-hued, gold-leafed, illuminated works of art to functional texts intended for students of science, philosophy, and religion. And it was a three-year project with a half-a-million-dollar grant to do this. And the project is now... Um, up to where it includes descriptive metadata, metadata and uh, all the manuscripts are have been released in the public domain are easily downloadable and at high resolution. Um, so there's got to be some gameable stuff in that, right? <laughs> uh, when I read that, I'm kind of thinking there's some cool stuff in there. So anyway, didn't want anybody to miss that. 160,000 pages of medieval manuscripts digitized. That's at medievalist.net. Uh, and then whenever people go on, you know, check out these cons or, and these kind of things, like I've mentioned before, I like to, to, you know, they do a post to, whoa, there goes the, there goes the froth brand. It's bound to happen. <laughs> oh boy. All right, so when people go to cons or meetups and stuff like that and come back with a with a blog post recapping their adventures and what they did and photographs and everything, I like to mention it. And uh, Chris Tam from elfmaidsandoctopi.blogspot.com went to RuneQuest Con down under. So this was at the University of Melbourne, it looks like. Chris Tam's got some images up from the gaming day that they did, they did there. And uh, some of their experiences there. So I put that up. And then Grogmeet. Grogmeet 2019. Uh, looks like a cool meetup. Some, some you know, self-described grognards. Had a good time. Old The old scouserroleplaying.com blog. As well as the grognardfiles.com you know, blog and podcast. Uh, have some uh, photographs and uh, um, uh, details of what they did there at Grog Meet 19. So I thought I'd put those both up for folks to check out. Then over at Diamond Games, I mentioned this blog a lot, but it's because they do these great um, posts where they'll gather a lot of different other, you know, related blog posts around a topic and put it together. And so they make for a great aggregation of, 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 of cool stuff on different topics. And this one was on starting equipment. So this is diamond, D-A-I-M-O-N-games.blogspot.com. And uh, they mentioned, I've mentioned this before myself. I talked about starting equipment back on a really early um, Thought Eater podcast about how I hate shopping in game. I hate doing it. I you know, hate having the players do it because especially if they're new, they don't have any, you know, it could take forever. 
and you're basically spending a lot of the time in the game on some shopping expedition. Like, it got to the point, you know, with, with Call of Cthulhu, where it's, if it makes sense for your character to have it, you just have it, because there's no limit to what you can buy. It's just a real world, you know? It's not even an item list. It's like you can just pick out a 1920s Sears robot, robot uh, catalog, and, you know, it's all for sale, you know, if you wanted it, so got to be a way to cut it down and so this starting equipment post has a lot of different packages or random tables or packages specific to um, different classes and stuff like that from all kinds of blogs stuff from uh, hill canton stuff from necropraxis uh, uh, stuff from the troll and flame blog beyond the black gate a bunch of good bloggers uh, their takes on starting equipment so that's it d-a-i-m-o-n-games.blogspot.com that's starting equipment post and finally on the miscellaneous front i thought this was an interesting post just k writes on the web.wordpress.com community spotlight the nonprofits making a difference and i thought uh, they mentioned for the month of november they're trying to use the platform they have to give thanks to some that really fight to make our community better and so i thought this was definitely worth mentioning it's um like dots rpg they tirelessly fight to make sure no vision impairment can stop someone from loving and playing together with friends um there's uh one that they mention asl for um rpgs uh for for folks that are hard of hearing or deaf can enjoy playing at the table and then take this uh which uh, deals with mental health and um so uh, you know, the community around RPGs, you know, they're, they're, there's you know, probably the most press goes to, you know, the most toxic folks in, uh, in fandom, you know what I mean? But then there are a lot of people that are doing a lot of positive things with it and, uh, and helping other people looking for ways to, um, to bring more people to the table, make things easier and just, and help each other, you know? And, uh, so anyway, um, I thought this was a really good post and, and, um, and timely for the, for this time of the year. I thought it was great. So if you want to learn some more about some of these nonprofits working, uh, and kind of with RPGs to help other people and, uh, check out more about what they do, this is over at just K writes on the web Tell me it's working. <laughs> you're all you're all garbled. <laughs> God. This sucks. God. <laughs> well, you're better now. Am I garbled now? Uh no. I I, I heard a sigh and now you seem like you're coming okay. in loud and clear. It's it's clear? Yep, it's clear on my end. Okay, all right. Well, I'm Rob C. And I'm Froth. <laughs> and we're here to confuse Ray Otis <laughs> from Blundergrounds. <laughs> I'm the one with the northern accent. I'm not from Minnesota, or am I? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this works long enough. <laughs> uh so we've been trying to get we've been this is froth that's rob c from the down in a heat podcast we've been trying to get this working 
and trying to get together for a while to, to do this, it's been mostly, I would say all of my fault actually, uh, for not being able to, for, to do this sooner, but thrilled to have Rob C on the final topic tonight. And we've had some technical difficulties. So, you know, I almost feel like I'm not talking to anybody, but Rob right now and just kind of crossing <laughs> my fingers up in this work. So this is a little weird, but, uh, so Rob, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm good. Waiting good. for a waiting for a snowstorm to blow in. So uh, yeah, oh, that's wow. life in Minnesota. Wow. So uh, you've got uh, firewood and whatever else. I'm sure you have a generator and everything up there, right? So <laughs> no, sadly, <laughs> I don't. Was I that have a refrigerator silence? full of cheese? So okay. <laughs> I didn't know if that was anchor silence or. <laughs> Or, well, I hope, uh, I hope everything goes all right for you. So, um, but, yeah. uh, so yeah, so I contacted Rob with, uh, with the topic for tonight, I sent him a link. And, uh, so it was an article t- called what's on your table. And this was, uh, from the angry GM, who's a pretty well-known blogger. Had you already heard of him, Rob? Yeah. I, I'd, I'd looked at his stuff before. Not yeah. really, you know, I, I don't follow him real close but yeah once in a while yeah. i check out yeah stuff. no i i'm not a i don't read all of it and everything but they're they're pretty well known they actually i think they get paid like per post so a lot of their posts are you know they're not you know a couple paragraphs so i've <laughs> i'm glad that you've <laughs> uh, i felt almost bad sending it to you because it's a kind of a long <laughs> post to read through but uh but it was talking about an interesting subject i thought that would make for a cool discussion between us about about mapping and and so I'm, I'm just going to just kind of skim and summarize basically what it, what it talks about. It's kind of talking about like the three main forms of mapping as being um, like a, a battle map type map, um, an exploration map, meaning something that gets kind of revealed through play. Like if you're, you're doing a hex crawl and you don't know what, what's in the next hex, that's kind of an exploration map. And then doing kind of like, uh, I forget what they refer to it as, like an overview like setting, type map. Setting yeah, yeah. which would be like uh, like the Darling Greyhawk map or something where, you know, right. the area is well known and you could get a view of the, the campaign and all that kind of stuff. So now right. I thought it was interesting that you can really break it down into three kinds of maps. I couldn't think of a fourth, so that really does kind of summarize it right there. But um, anyway... And so I sent that over to, to Rob to take a look at because, um, you know, to kind of prepare for this. And then speaking of prepared, I had some ideas. Uh, hold on a second. Okay. So this was something I was curious about, Rob. I know you've been gaming for a long time. When did you actually first start playing D&D? Mm, I think it was like 1981. Time? Okay. So, yeah, so I started in, I first got to play in like 1985. So, mm. and did you, did you have, I had a huge gap in, in playing, you know, there was, there were years and years and years that I didn't play. Did you play all the way through like I wish I had, or did you have a big gap or anything like that too? No, I, like so many of the anchorites and stuff, I think uh, I, I had a big gap too. I, yeah. I stopped playing 
uh, before third edition D&D came out and I didn't yeah. start, uh, resume until maybe five years ago or something. So Okay. So I got back into it like around 2008, but I completely missed third edition as well. And uh, so, so cool. So going back to the, the old days, I I used maps completely different than I do than I do now. But part of that is because I was younger and had no money. And then also we didn't really understand, you know, we didn't even really understand the rules of the game. Um, you know, so when you look back at how your earliest use of maps, would you describe how how that was or how you used them, if at all? Um, yeah, I think I think it was pretty spotty until we got a hold of the uh, previously mentioned Greyhawk folio, the Darlene maps. And that really kind of changed my outlook as far as uh, setting maps blew me away and showed me what, how it could really add to the atmosphere of the game. Um, You know, and you get, you get uh, a feel for that too, just from fantasy lit, like, looking at the middle earth maps or the young yeah. kingdoms or whatever but i have i have the the, the tolkien you know il, you know maps emblazoned yep. in my mind from from when i was little and see for me we didn't have any of that stuff you know uh they, i mean we did have the map we had was for the marvel superheroes you know it came with like the city map so we had that but mm-hmm. but no, we just had the ad and d books so the closest things we had to maps was like the sample dungeon in a book or whatever. Right. So, and then the, and then the backs, you know, the, the covers of the scenario, the modules, mm-hmm. you know, like village of Hamlet and stuff like that. And then the, the other thing that really was kind of an eye opener for me, it was the city state of the invincible overlord. Yeah. And now you've rubbed, of... that, you've rubbed that in before. <laughs> yeah yeah you've rubbed that one in but i'm glad you did it again so i can feel the, the jealousy <laughs> feel the pain. yeah 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 that's a that's a bucket list item there so that's that's killer so did you ever you know one of the things this article talks starts talking about is you know like with modern D and I mean you know going back to third edition at least you know there and i mean well, here, here's the thing. Did you ever use minis and any kind of visual repre- representation in combat back in the early we, days or no? We did use minis um, more just to show marching order and, mm-hmm. you know, your relative positioning to someone else. It wasn't any kind of gridded play or yeah. it was it was kind of an aid for theater of the mind. So it was. I don't know, theater of the mind plus. That's the same. That's the same for us. Only we didn't have any minis, but my my friends, basically, one of my good friends that I'm still friends with now, and it's you know 30 years later, 30 plus years later. God, nearly 40 years. <laughs> Could keep going <laughs> a long time ago, but uh, his older brother is the one that had D and D and had. Uh, Marvel superheroes also had the like first Judge Dredd game, although I, I don't have any real memories of ever playing that. I definitely read through it, but but um, so we didn't have any minis. But his his grandmother lived in the house with them, and her, she was Mima, so she actually had uh, this like huge bag of buttons, like a button collection. And I mean, you might just be picturing a couple different kinds of buttons, but I mean, these were like all kinds of crazy buttons to where 
we were using those for minis because they were so distinct. So I just remember, you know, but we weren't, right. you know, measuring distance or, or any of that. You know, it's weird, you know, now um, every time I played fifth edition, somebody's used a grid with it until this campaign I just started playing with a friend of mine and he just uses mm-hmm. theater of the mind. He doesn't use even, he doesn't even put anything down and say, this is here, this is here, you know, any of that. And what's interesting is, and I know Fivey is not your favorite and everything. It's not my favorite either, but, you know, they, they deliberately tried to pull away from some of the gridded map stuff, you know, from fourth edition and 3.5 and, and all that. But right. what's interesting is it's really a more format thing because you still, when you're playing theater of the mind without any kind of map, it's not, it's not going to be, there's still a lot of exact measurements in 5e that you're really just kind of hand waving, you know, 15 foot yep. cones and, you know, and so, but that's just the way all the additions are. So it's interesting to me that, and this is maybe just a little off topic, but when some of the additions would get really exact with squares and, and, and that kind of thing, there was a real pushback to it, but it's not that different. You know, you can play fourth edition the same as you play fifth edition without a grid. It really just amounts to kind of hand waving and everything. But I guess what I'd say now, do you ever use battle mats and or, or, or uh, maps specific for minis now? Or are you still mostly doing theater of the mind? Or how do you do it now as far as, uh, you know, combat maps go? Yeah, when, when I DM, I almost always use some kind of battle mat when it's a... Uh a combat that's going to be more than just, um, you know, a, a walkover or something. And, but the, one of the other people that DM in our group, he seldom brings out anything like that. So it's kind of almost two different styles of play that we have within our own little group. And I use the, these dry erase mm-hmm. boards. They fit together kind of like a puzzle piece. So it's not like a chess X map. These are, they're made by Roll 4 Initiative, with 4 being the numeral 4. I don't even know <clears> if I know what those are. I'll have to look at those. Yeah, they're kind I've of got a ch- I've got the Chessex, I've got the classic, you know, everybody's seen the Chessex maps, where it's the grid on one side and the hexes on the yep. other. That's what I've got. Yep, I've got um, I do have a bunch too. of, I've got a bunch of tiles and stuff, which are cool, but you run into that thing where... And this was something I wanted to mention. What's the? I forget the guy's name, but he's famous for making the uh, the dwarven forge terrain. You know, and oh yeah, stuff is, I know who you're talking about, but yeah. I don't know who that the name. Yeah, and the stuff is so cool, but it's kind of like it's the whole problem with the tiles and everything is, you know, if you build all that stuff out, the players can see the whole map. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> right, and so. I was wondering how that guy ever did anything because otherwise you're showing off the dungeon and I watched this video of him running a game and, and they, they used like cotton and covered like the entire map and they just pull away a huge thing of cotton off the, <laughs> I was like, damn, yeah. that guy buys a lot of cotton. <laughs> well, yeah. The... <laughs> and the, the tiles I have they're well, I've got one set that's 10 inch squares and one set that's five inch squares. So you can draw them up ahead of time and just like lay them out as they're exploring or, you know, finding mm-hmm. more areas. And you can even, they're, they're double-sided. So you could even have things like 
have a pit trap that's revealed by flipping the tile over. Yeah, yeah, I got some of that. And, and what I would also do is if 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 they if they look like they were heading towards a big combat, like sometimes I'd have like the map half kind of ready to where I could yep. pull that out for the encounter. And then, cause I love using random encounters and kind of random encounters, throw a monkey wrench into it. Now this is all, right. when we're talking about this, this is all face to face at the table. And, yep. and it gets into this a little bit uh, in the article because online it allows you to do a lot more with battle maps than, than you can do at the table. Then you can, even have room to do you know what i mean right like yep. i have uh i have a map that's made of the entire um uh keep on the borderlands like all the caves of chaos like it's you know a pdf battle map to scale nice. you know for minis of the entire thing whereas you could never even lay that down you know i couldn't even lay that down on my gaming table and the other thing too is you know where it's random encounters if you're playing face to face i usually either just do those completely theater of the mind or throw something, you know, just sketch something out real quick on a battle map, you know, on the Chessex, whatever. Um, you can kind of have a bunch of maps prepared online and just pull them in when you need them. So it's like a completely different, you prepare differently and you're able to do things differently. But the other thing that's weird is you're almost, there's almost more of a pressure or a, not a pressure, but, I guess I use minis even when I don't have to online sometimes when I don't, when I'm, if I'm playing with my daughter or whatever, I don't even mess with mm. tokens or anything. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird like yeah. that. But the, so, the players that you play with online probably have the expectation that you're going to have all the dynamic lighting and, and well, I don't know. I'm putting your words in your mouth. Yeah. Do you do all I that and stuff so. when you're, when you're doing that? No, it's got, it's got the, uh, the cool way, which is the dynamic lighting, and then it's got the froth way, which is <laughs> like the, never bothered to figure out the dynamic light. <laughs> so you can bit. just have everything hidden and then just reveal it as you go. So yeah. I probably need more work, but the the dynamic lighting always is weird as a player to me anyway. I don't think it's the, it's it doesn't feel quite right anyway. So I, mm -hmm. I think I probably like the way I do it anyway. I think I probably like it more. Um, so a lot of times, well, bells and you know, I, I, kind of, I, I had an expectation that you maybe didn't like to use battle maps and minis. No, um, no, I, I'm actually, you know, I'm kind of an old war gamer, so mm. that kind of stuff. Um, I like the tactical elements and stuff that are in games. Uh, I don't like it if it, if it makes it too involved and complicated at the game table mm -hmm. you know i don't want to have combats lasting two hours for a combat between your six member party and 12 orcs or something but yeah um uh, no and you know what's weird is uh, I ha i've had a couple experience i had an experience of one guy one time on a, on a forum tell me that nobody ever played with minis back then you know and i'm thinking Tell that to Ralph Partha. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he was well, like, "Well, yeah. we all we all had army men and and dinosaurs and stuff like that." I mean, he had all yeah. that or let little Lego figures or something. So but it was just such a ridiculous statement. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just so yeah. Then and then I had a guy join my two E game, a two E campaign I ran a while back, and um he he played for one session and he quit the session he said uh because i i used uh a map in minis 
Like it wasn't oh. like it was. Yeah. And so some people have some really strong opinions on the map and mini stuff, mm-hmm. um, which to me, well, I just use whatever, whatever works. And uh, I don't know. So, so how do you think? So in the article by angry GM, he was pretty down on using the exploration. That's what I wanted to get to because that that's, I agreed with, um, you know, he, they, they were given good advice as far as, you know, you can't, it's hard to do random encounters with, with, um, battle maps and, you know, to be able to, you know, to use a dry race and, and the difference between online and everything. But, but, uh, you know, with the, the accompanying post for the hump day this week, I've got this exploration map that I did with my daughter probably like three years and it was one of the first things i did with her is instead of trying to like teach her any rules or whatever we we were doing like collaborative world building and just rolling the dice and rolling i was actually using some old judges guild tables to to roll for terrain and stuff like that and color it in and so i've got an image of this one that we did and she'd tell me what was in the hex and stuff like that and to me like that was the part that I just disagreed the most strongly with because one of my favorite things in classic D and D and it was something that we didn't do really do when I was younger, but one of my favorite things now is hex crawling, random tables, randomly generating, you know, keeping myself on my toes as a GM and the players feeling that sense of uh, exploration. And you, you can only do that really like I, I, with with a hex map in my opinion you know and 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 uh or i guess it wouldn't have to be a hex map but with with an exploration map where they don't know where everything is um yeah like the old isle of dread map. yeah oh great example yeah that's a great example so you've got the coastline that's kind of all drawn in for the players like the gm has the key or the you know what everything is yeah. And the rest of their map is just blank on the interior, so they have to fill it in as they explore the aisle. And that's yeah, that's gold. Yeah, that's classic. That's as good as it gets. And I and and, and what's weird to me is it's in the article they seem to. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find their exact quote real quick. Let me see. I know it was towards the end when they were really going off on it, but it was something about the amount of time it takes was the problem. Yeah. But. <sighs> It, it doesn't take that much time. It just seemed like an exaggeration for one thing. And then there's also yeah. that anticipation where it doesn't really matter that it's taking time as a player. I like waiting to, you know, I, I like seeing what comes next. And, uh, and I don't know, I'm not in that bigger rush maybe, or I don't know exactly what, you know, to me, I was just kind of surprised. Oh yeah. Here's what it says. There's not real. There's really not a great way to share exploration maps at a real split, real space table in a way that slowly reveals them as they are explored. That doesn't eat up a lot of time and resources and waste space. And I'm thinking, <laughs> just I've just got all these little sheets of hex, you know, hex paper. You can print them for, for you know. And that's one of the reasons right. I put up that image. It's like there's not a good way. You know, here's a tiny sheet of paper and some crap. <laughs> I hand you the, the Isle of Dread, Exhibit A. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so that one I didn't get. Maybe yeah. they had a weird experience or something. I don't know. And then it said, you know. Or do you think he was referring more to dungeon crawls rather than hex crawls or in a wilderness? I, I don't know. Maybe, but even then I use small hex paper 
you know, right. and draw where she is. And then and you and you had he emailed me about that as far as the, uh, um, uh, what did you say? Sorry, I'm having to flip back and forth. Uh, any talk about players mapping for for exploration versus DMs? Feeling, yeah. yeah. So that to me is one where I wish I had players that really wanted to map because I like I like doing that. I think it's cool, but um, a lot of times when I'm with a new player, they definitely don't want to map, and it's just kind of foreign to a lot of people. Uh, it's kind of I like th- a lost art almost in a way. It is, and I think it's uh, you know I've I've banged on in my uh, podcast from time to time about hand waving and immersion and realism things like that, and you know obviously if you're well, I guess if you're thinking of a fantasy genre game as being pseudo medieval, you know, your magic user is not going to have a backpack full of graph paper, you know, to, to, <laughs> to map this stuff out on. But even if they did, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't uh, have, uh, I don't know. It, it does kind of throw you into the game and trying to figure out how to render uh some kind of meaningful way to get back out of the dungeon or to find out Mm -hmm. like, Oh, well there might be a secret door here because look at the way these corridors are running parallel or something or these rooms. And, you know, you can, you don't have to, I think a lot of times people get all bothered about trying to make it perfect, but Mm -hmm. just doing line drawings with, uh, with squares representing rooms and stuff. And, I mean, the mega dungeon we're in right now is is a hot mess as far as trying to map. It's it's yeah, a lot of natural caverns, so there's no like right <laughs> angles. It's, oh, yeah. it's just it. May, you're, uh, it also made me think about there are certain modules that have just like mazes, you know. Like there's one, uh, yeah. I guess it's Hero. I don't know if you ever looked at that module, but one whole like you know part of this pyramid is just is like the cruelest maze possible, <laughs> and without. <laughs> But you can't even do anything with it unless it's the player trying to map it. It doesn't even yeah. work. You know, yeah. no, no maze does, you know, because you can't just describe it. You know, no, you took a left here. You, took, you know, no one can even follow that. And then if you're <laughs> drawing them the maze, they can see it. And, you know, so the, uh, there's whole sections of some modules that unless the players are doing that kind of exploration style mapping, they, they don't work. So, yeah. Um, I guess that's why you don't see a ton of mazes, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) But, um, but anyway, I actually did play with one guy, um, Wayne Rossi, who is a blogger and has, uh, has done, you know, put out some stuff, put out a, um, a supplement about the OD and D implied setting that I know a lot of people have downloaded because it is kind of weird talking about OD and D, how, you know, the doors open for monsters, but not for, not for the players the, yeah. you know, the, the, it's got all that kind of stuff and the way it's all laid out at once you know in that kind of format it, it does imply this weird kind of setting and i played on an online game with them uh once uh, i can't remember he might have been he was either gming or playing but there was a player that was like all about being the mapper and so they were like okay so right okay so 20 by 30 got it right you know and and you could tell that they have you know that's the way that they've always liked to play and we're into it and that actually probably more than anything made me like like doing it um mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It's kind of like a game within a game or something else you can be doing while you're wandering around. And so I don't know. It it does keep you engaged. Um, I have a tendency to be the mapper when we're playing too. And the funny thing is if I don't show up to the game, I've got the map in my bag. <laughs> so they're like, well, <laughs> look at the new map. Otto the magic user didn't show up for the, for the Delve this week. So we we're we're out of luck. We don't have a map. <laughs> I was just thinking maybe one of them tries the map and you get there and it's just as pitiful. <laughs> yeah. Well that, that happens too. Or the, uh, we'll get back together the next time. And I'm like, well, where did we explore? I don't know. We went off this way. And, you know, so it's just kind of still terra incognito <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I don't like, really know what that is. Like you have to fill in the space. And it's just, <laughs> you can tell when you yeah. were there, when you weren't. Yep. You already, you've already mentioned the, the city state. And uh, we talked a little bit about the Greyhawk map. Those classics. So you're making me start to think now about what, what the classic maps of all time are. Uh, you know, obviously the Tegel Manor. Um, uh, judges guild yeah. it, uh, is incredible and i actually uh, i've run that for uh, you know classic and I, and I ran that for fourth edition and i had built um using tile by tile i built that online to play you know and to wow. scale for yeah and it, it was it was it was a lot of fun and uh, so i'm trying to think of some other classic classic D maps are any popping in your mind i know we didn't i didn't send this in an email or anything i was just it just made me think about it well like you know, i mean the caves of chaos are pretty easily i mean you look at that ravine with all the honeycomb mm-hmm. caves in there and stuff that's pretty um yeah that is iconic pretty classic um you know what's cool about that know, one that, too is that yeah. it helps you know about sloping passages maybe more yes. than any other map you know, because they always mentioned would mention that in the rule book about dwarves being able to tell the passages sloping and these kind of things. Yep. But um, but that one with the you know the the different um, you know uh, out you know whatever levels of elevation lines. Ele- yeah. Yeah, there's the word. <laughs> <laughs> we can have the classic froth uh, pause if you'd like. <laughs> no. no, I could just use you to help me. Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh man, so. Yeah, and you talked about the Isle of Dread. That's another. You know, that's that's legendary stuff. There, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I kind of like the area map that's in Secret of Bone Hill too, with all the, uh, the different Bone hills. Hill, and I'm stuff. Not, that one I have to look at. I don't own that one, so yeah, I have to. You gave me one to check out. I'll tell you what. I just got in the mail was, um, you know, uh, Goodman Games has been updating a bunch of. Uh, of classic modules to 5e and then they reprint the old modules in it at the same time and so they end up these huge hardbacks you know and, yep. uh, and, and but they're really good and they have like essays and appendixes and new art and they just did uh the barrier peaks adventure i was thinking that's and, where you're going yeah. i was yeah kind of wanted to get that one yeah that that you know that's one i've never run so that 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 that's going to have to happen at some point so um, yeah. but really cool maps and huge maps too when yep. you get into that huge scale uh, it kind of changes the game a little bit too so well and that you was know, one I... too like like tomb of horror and hidden shrine of tomoakan that came with the uh, like booklet of pictures too to yeah. kind of yeah you see things yeah i know i love that that's uh yeah. that they've they've got that in the um uh Temple of Elemental Evil's got a little extra little book thing like that too. 
That yeah. was must have been because that wasn't in the original two Mahars, right? It didn't have the extra thing. You know, it would have been a later printing, maybe. Yeah, you know, the printing I had was a later printing. It wasn't the monochrome. It was the one that... Yeah, it um, seems like right around 85 or something, or right as Gygax was getting ready to leave, because that's right when that Lankmar thing came out, and it's got something yeah. like that in it, too. The production yeah. value of the TSR... I know we're off topic, but the production value right there of the TSR stuff was probably peak, maybe, or, you know, it was just really cool right there. Yeah, yep. Um I was starting to think, oh, one more map I really like is the uh, the Descent to the Unknown, the D-Series. You know, it's got the weird underground hex map, you know, yep. Underdark with the, you know, that's, that, that's always one that sticks in my mind, too. And didn't that have, like, geomorphs, too, kind of like to represent a, yes. a primary yeah. passage and a tertiary yeah. passage and stuff? Yeah, it does. It does indeed. It does yeah. indeed. And that's another one that ends up with some really uh, huge areas. As well yep. as the uh, uh, the Kuatoa, the shrine yep. of the Kuatoa. That that one's yep. just in the vault. Yeah. yeah. So let's see if there's anything else. I know we could me we could probably talk all night. I'm forgetting other people are supposed to be listening to this. It's like so. What <laughs> right, are you we're eating? just rambling. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so what else is going on? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that 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 was more or less. Yeah, if you it. want to wrap it right there, that's cool with me. I yeah, mean, yeah. No, I it's mean, it's been an honor. It's a good. Oh, hey, no, it, the honor is all mine. And and oh, any kidding me? Have a day. Yeah, if you <laughs> anybody isn't listening to the Down in the Heat podcast, absolutely one of the first ones to start listening to on Anchor. Classic. Yeah. So if you're listening to this for whatever reason, you have not checked out Rob C's Down in the Heat podcast. Absolutely do so. Great opinions and and really interesting stuff all the way back to the beginning ones, you know, so, um, well, but anyway, yeah, no, it's the truth. It's the truth. Well, this is a good spot to cut it. So good discussion on maps. If anybody wants to go back and check out this angry DM thing, didn't mean to be too hard on it. Really only just disagreed with them on the exploration thing, but it, it's actually a good kind of breakdown of the different types of maps. It talks a little bit about online gaming and face-to-face gaming, some of the ways people handle uh, mapping and stuff. See if you agree, if you disagree, and love for you to call in. Let me know. Uh, you know, let us know what you what you think about it. Are there you have any favorite maps? How do you do mapping at the table? I'm interested in because I game so much differently when I was younger than I do now. I'm interested in maybe how you started with maps, how you're doing them now. Just anything map related like that uh, would be interesting. And Rob, can't thank you enough. Pray that I appreciate it. Pray that I don't actually delete this. <laughs> Because this was actually pretty good. <laughs> so, all right, good fingers crossed. All right, I'll see you. Yep. See ya. All right, so how cool was that? I know my sound did not come across as good as Rob. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll try to figure out, you know, some way to make that better, or maybe do some more collaborations. Certainly with Rob C and maybe some other folks down the line. But uh, so thrilled to have Rob C from Down in a Heap on the um, on the show. Uh, that was a ton of fun, and um, I know we kept going for a while there. And I know maybe the sound wasn't perfect, but hopefully uh, some of y'all enjoyed that. And it just uh, that was just a lot of fun for me. So I thought that was great. And it gets me to thinking about, um, you know, it's getting ready to be Thanksgiving here in the States and 
gets me thinking about stuff that I'm thankful for. You know, I'm thankful for these bloggers every week putting out so much awesome stuff. Um, I'm coming up in January on a year of doing uh, not only the Hump Day Bloggerama, but also uh, the podcast. So, uh, but so thankful to the bloggers that put this stuff out and give me something to talk about every week. Um, thankful to the listeners that listen to the show. Uh, it's so encouraging to get call-ins or to, um, to, you know, to have people, uh, let me know. I had someone let me know that they really enjoyed it the other day. And that, that really just meant a lot. So I'm very thankful, whoever you are, wherever you are out there listening, thank you for, for taking the time. I know there are a lot of choices for entertainment, a lot of other things you could be doing. So thank you very much. Very thankful to folks backing me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. I've just got it set up as one tier. It's just a dollar a month. It's like a tip jar. So if you're enjoying some of this stuff and want to, you know, join in and support me that way, uh, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. Thankful for Frank T supporting the show. Frank T stuff is world-class y'all go to patreon.com forward slash Frank T and check it out. I'm thankful to all the legendary anchorites, the whole community of folks uh, doing RPG podcasts here on Anchor, uh, like Rob C., like Colin Green, like Rudy, like Josh Beckelheimer, um, like Mr. Jones from the Dragons of Real podcast. Uh, all you guys, all you people out there um, in the Anchor community have made it so, so much fun over the last year for me. So, so anyway, and I, I hope uh, anybody... Uh, no matter who you are, uh, I hope uh, if you you are celebrating Thanksgiving, that you're going to get to spend some good time with your family or friends and uh, and and eat too much. So, so anyway, that is the show for this week. If you got any messages about anything we talked about, the map stuff or anything, you can message me on the Anchor app or just go to my Anchor page and there's a little button that says message. You know, don't be shy. Send me a message. I'll put you on the show. You can also send me an email, froth, S-O-F, frothsoft at gmail.com. Don't forget, all this stuff is up on the Thought Eater blog, frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. And how can I forget to say that I'm thankful for Logan for dropping it like it's hot. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind